0: Hello and welcome to the Kick in the Creatives podcast, hosted by myself, Sandra Busby, and my fellow creative, Tara Roskell, offering you interviews, inspiration, motivation, and a gentle prod in the right direction. And for lots more information, challenges, and other useful tools to help you get creating, you can go to kickinthecreatives.com. And of course, this is where you can also find today's show notes. Enjoy the show. To today's episode and today we're going to chat about how sometimes the smallest things can make a big difference to our art but before we get on to that thanks so much to everyone who's been sharing their work with us on social media for the challenges they've been doing keep them coming we love seeing what you're doing and also a huge thank you to our latest Kofi supporters your support shows that you like what we do and that you'd like us to continue and we're going to thank you personally at the end of the show
1: and finally, thanks to our sponsor, Evolve. Evolve can teach you how to paint in a realism style to a professional level in a year or less and for a fraction of the price of art school. Not only do they give you all the lessons and support online, but they also send you the materials you'll need. You can watch a free webinar from Evolve by going to kickinthecreaties.com forward slash Evolve webinar. Or if you want to hear more about the Evolve program, you can go back and listen to episode 67 and 73. Anyway, Sandra, what is new with you? well um
0: okay so uh, my donut painting is well on the way i to tell you the truth I haven't done a lot to it since we last spoke because it's we just had a really 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 busy time at work and the day I would have probably used to paint I actually was briefly talking to you about this Um, before we started recording I went forest bathing with my friend which is a whole nother story I won't go into that now Um, but yeah so I haven't had a lot of chance to do that and I think what I'm going to do is at the weekend it's Paul's birthday weekend coming up as well so that's another one we've got people staying over so it does make it harder to find time to fit things like this in but yeah, I've literally probably got um, one main layer left and then the detail layer. So there's not a lot, to be honest. There's really not a lot to do on it. And, and quite frankly, it hasn't taken me long to do the bits I've done. It just It's just because I've been spreading it out such a lot that it's taken a few weeks. But it's looking good. So far, I'm really happy with it. So that's really good. And, you know, the last couple of podcasts have been saying, you know, my sketchbook has really been calling me again. Um, oh yeah yeah so it's funny because I like as you know I went through about a year or two I was sketching every day and really making a habit of it and I when I went through that art block um it just that's it. it I just didn't do any at all so totally got out of the habit of that and um anyway I don't know if it was yesterday or this morning I only saw it yesterday no it was it would have been yesterday if I saw it yesterday so we I got um in my email inbox a amazing um inspirational newsletter that came through from um kick in the creatives <laughs> and talking about the upcoming challenges for September and basically <laughs> I was like oh my gosh that I, that could not have come at a better time so the um, the challenges coming up in September is Sketchathon September, which is to sketch every single day throughout September. So, dusting off that dusty sketchbook and thinking, right, I'm going to do something every day. There's also, though, another um, a quick kick challenge, which is the blind contour, which is like the five minute one. And you know, oh, yeah. I've been talking about I love doing blind contours. And there's also Script Ember where you can write fancy script. And I thought, you know what, that's that's like fate. You know, when you feel like something comes at just the right time, I was like, wow, I you know, that's brilliant. It was just literally a quite a short newsletter saying, right, this is what we've got coming up, this is um, this is that. And I'm like, oh my god, that's exactly what I needed. So I thought that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do sketch thorn September, probably incorporate some blind contour. And who knows, maybe a bit of fancy script. So, yeah, that's what's new with me.
1: I've been inspired by myself and you, <laughs> or us, rather. I was going to say, <laughs> people are going to think that's really weird if they think you're the one that sets the newsletter going because they think, well, surely she knows that she'd set that newsletter going for today. <laughs> and, of course, I set the newsletters going, don't I? <laughs> you do. So you you're don't, don't know that... when, it's com- when it's coming no, out.
0: No, but it plops into my inbox and yeah. it just so happened that this one I was like, ah. Oh,
1: Oh, wow yeah <laughs> so that was brilliant timing I thought yeah do you, do you know I haven't touched my sketchbook for ages and we've actually got a week off next week so I don't know if I will but maybe I will actually get do a bit of just mucking about I don't know if I'm gonna sketch things I see or whether just you know doodling maybe who knows yeah, yeah I think but, but apart apart from that I've um I haven't actually done that much drawing and painting because I've been really sort of busy trying to work on my website. Um, and it's really funny because, you know, we kind of joke and we, we talk and I say, you say about, um, oh, does your, we say, does your art have a story and all that? And I always say to you, I'm not that deep, don't I? <laughs> like really, you no, know, kind of joking, but yeah. semi-serious as well. Yeah. It's really funny because um, I keep hearing you know, you need to tell the story behind your art. You need to tell the story behind your art. It's like this ever-going record, isn't it? Mm. Um, And I I started looking at my characters and I realised that when I look at them, I can kind of conjure up a story behind them, if that makes
0: sense. So you you conjure it up as in you think of one rather than you have one. Yeah, but...
1: Yeah, but it is... And that sounds really false and stupid, right? But what I mean is, when I'm painting them, I don't necessarily have a story because I don't know who they're going to be. Because it's quite intuitive when I paint. I might start with a reference, but it doesn't end up looking like a reference. So I don't know how this character is going to turn out. So I don't know who they are. And then as I I was sitting there looking at the stuff on my website, and I was thinking oh uh, i think she is a i think she's royalty so i think she's i know this sounds mad i think she might be a royal sort of queen or princess but then she has an alter ego where she's a dj dj in some interstellar futuristic club (laughs) only you could come up with a story (laughs) like that i know (laughs) So,
0: I know it's completely bonkers. Do do you use mind mapping mapping to come up with this, or is this just a natural
1: thing for your brain? It's natural. I just look at it, and I think, I think that's who you are. And it's like, there's there's another one I've got who looks a bit like an alien. And I I sat there looking at it, and I thought, what's the story? What's this, you know, creature's story? And I'm like, I know, it's an alien, like, but people can't see it. It it doesn't sort of really mean us any harm, and... You, uh, people only ever get a glimpse of it at midnight if it rains and then oh God, you can just so slide. weird. <laughs> but what i've been doing i know it's weird i mean i don't know if it is like making up a story after the thing but i can look at them and pretty immediately i can get a story
0: well right? no that's yeah so well that I... is naturally coming from what you've done then that isn't you conjuring it up that's you no, looking not... at them and seeing what you what it makes
1: you feel like but it's what I feel like now it's it, so mm. it might not have been it might be a year later after than I painted it I just mm. haven't thought about it but then yeah. I look at it so so I started doing this and I've been using Chat GPT to help me write because it writes a lot more poetically than I do um, yeah so what I do is I go in there and I say like I've just told you about the alien who appears at midnight you know the rain mm. at midnight and all that and then I tell Chat GPT what it looks like and then Chat GPT spits this thing out that's really over the top but there's elements of it that I really like yeah So how, how it writes it so then I pick bits out and then I rewrite bits of it and then I then I write bits in myself and then I get it to check my grammar and then I put it up excellent I bet you think me using Chat GPT is cheating don't you no because um I would if you were saying give me
0: a story about this piece of art and then it came yeah. up, up with one for you um but if you if you're finding something and you're saying right my story is this how you know how do i write this in a better way or so no i think there's ways of using chat gpt isn't there to enhance something you you already have in your head i don't particularly yeah. i don't use it because um saying that i think I think I was trying to use it once to to make a TikTok bio, which is only eighty characters. And I was thinking, oh my god! And I I had one already, but yeah. it was too long, so I kind of put something like, can I have ideas to write this in eighty characters or something like that? But it didn't come up yeah. with anything that was going to work for me, so I didn't bother. Right. I think I think maybe maybe one or two words gave me an idea. So yeah. But no, one, I don't I mean, think it's, it's cheating. I think it depends how you use it.
1: There's one really interesting thing that I've discovered. And just in case nobody knows about, if you don't know about ChatGPT, it's basically it's an AI that can help you write things. And We've done an episode on AI before, so you can go back and look at that. But what I've noticed is it's helping teach me how to write. Yeah. Which, sound, which may sound strange. Does that sound strange? No. No. Well, yeah, because it comes up with something quite like poetic the way it writes something, and then you think, oh, oh, I need to try phrasing things a little bit differently. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. See, I love
0: doing that, and and you're better than me. Yeah. Well, I think it's as well. If I use Chat GPT, it's like taking the fun out of that for me because I love doing that I love writing so I love coming up with these different if I wanted to write a sentence and I thought actually I could jazz that up a bit I love that um I love that creativity about doing that so that would take it away from me whereas if you're not that way inclined it can be an excellent tool can't it
1: yeah and I think it I think it's really good because like I say I think it's teaching me so that I will Mm. start thinking more along those lines yeah. That makes Does sense. that mean I'm going to yeah. start
0: getting texts that are more than one word? Like, yes.
1: Mate, no, no, no. <laughs> or, thanks. Probably not. <laughs> I'm going to start writing I'm going to get really these poems to you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> poem about me having my dinner, aren't you? Just poem for dinner.
0: The, the, the thing I think we first noticed when we started working on this podcast together, you know, those years ago was that I waffle on for England and I waffle on way too much and you would the opposite where you, where you'd literally just say exactly what you needed to say and stop and I what what we needed to do really was you needed to kind of elaborate a bit and i needed yeah. to just stop talking so much so yeah. i think over the years we've kind of we, we've learned from each other haven't we i think you're you're much better Met at elaborating and now i don't waffle quite so
1: much you know so yeah it yeah. was the same when we used to write wasn't it because yeah. i used to have to cut your writing in half <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway <laughs> shall we kick off yeah i think so do you want do you want to start or do you want me
0: to start You can start if you like. Okay, so we're talking basically about how the smallest little things can make a huge difference when it comes to your artwork. So it's these tiny decisions which you might make by accident and then learn from it. Um, There was a particular thing that I remember, I've spoken about this before, and I thought, oh my gosh, and it was one of those things. It was such a small thing, but I couldn't believe what a big difference it made you know to my paintings from that moment onwards and i think it took me to an, another level of painting um in just that one accident so i've spoken about this before so i apologize if i if you've heard this but sandra i do think it's didn't sandra
1: you're waffling you're ah. waffling
0: <laughs> am i waffling <laughs> Yeah, get down. To the, get
1: down to the actual okay, topic. Right. I okay. don't know what you're uh, talking
0: let's... about. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> okay, right. So basically, I'm talking about hard and soft edges. Shall I? Shall I go on?
1: Yeah, because <laughs> <Is that too laughs> now
0: you've told them what you're talking about. Sorry, I was just demonstrating how you just said it. You were just so, doing the big
1: build-up to what the actual topic was going to be.
0: Oh, that's a terrible habit of mine. Okay, let's get on with it then. So basically, I was um, creating a series of uh, teddy bears. This was way back um, when I very first started oil painting and trying to do the realism style. When I did these um, vintage teddy bears, and I think I'd done a couple of them and, and funny enough when I look back now at the first one you know I didn't know what a soft edge was I was everything had like this this quite a, a hard edge to it um <clears throat> even if it was fluffy it was still a definite edge and then one day I was doing a bear and I had some books in the background and like early antique books and as much as the painting you know the trying to get the gold lettering and everything I'd nailed that I'd I, I really had and I I'd nailed the textures and everything like this, but there was still something. I could never put my finger on what it was that wasn't right. And one day I went to adjust something and I accidentally put my hand, the, you know, the side part, the the fat part of my hand on a piece of the painting, which I didn't realise was still very wet, actually. And when I took it off, I was like, the first thing I did was swear. I was like, oh, you know, bleep, <laughs> yeah. And then I stood back and thought, "Oh God, I'm going to sort that out now. I've completely, that edge is totally gone." And I went to get um like my fan brush to try and, you know, blur the background out so I could start that bit again. And when I did, I thought, oh my gosh, I can't even believe that. That looks amazing. And <laughs> what it was is the books were in a very dark background and the bear was in the foreground and where i had um sort of lost that edge of the book it looked like the light just wasn't hitting so it was blending into the background the dark background and i thought that's actually exactly what that's exactly what really is in front of me in my because sh- i had it all set up in my shadow box but you see, again, that was a stage where I hadn't quite learnt about, you know, painting what I see, which I'll go on to. So basically, I've, that was the moment I learnt about hard and soft edges and also lost edges. You know, that, that's when sometimes you'll look at something and the, the, tone, the tonal value of what you're looking at, the edge of that object... It's the same tonal value as as the object or the background which is ex- directly next to it. In which case, then you don't have to put an edge at all. They blend into each other. So that was that was um probably the biggest aha moment for me of my whole painting career, if you want to call it a career. Do you know what I mean? Painting journey, yeah. adventure or whatever. It was the difference between me making good paintings and making bad paintings. So that was a massive moment for me. And it was literally the smallest thing to learn. And actually, that is why you should go to that Evolve webinar that Tara spoke about at the very beginning. Because that teaches you about hard and soft edges and lost edges. And honestly, it's the best lesson I think I've ever learned when it comes to painting. So just quickly, obviously, I want to go on now because that links nicely into drawing what you see not what you think you see. Well, of course, you know, as far as I was concerned, I was painting books at the time and books have a straight edge, don't they? They have a long straight edge, and yet with a ruffled, maybe they're a bit battered and old, so they have a ruffled bit there and whatever. Um, However, do they? Because what I should have been doing is not assuming, oh, well, you know, uh, this bit is straight down with a few wonky bits because it's an old book. What I needed to be doing was looking carefully at the book and thinking, I can't even see that edge, actually. I can't see it. It's kind of like melting into the background. Um, OK, so what I needed to be doing is sort of smudging that in and bl- blending it into the background and losing it. That is, what is, that is drawing what you see or painting what you see and not f- painting what you think you know. And it's let's say for another example, you're drawing an eye. This is a classic example. You say to somebody, um, "Okay, look at my look at my face and draw my eye." Now, a, a novice, somebody who's not uh, you know not experienced at drawing, um, and even some people who who are ex- sort of experienced in drawing, but they don't really haven't really got how to get good at it yet. What they'll do is they'll think, okay, it's an eye, it's an almond shape, so they draw an almond shape, and then they draw a a round circle within the almond shape, and then they'll draw another round circle for the pupil, and then they'll draw eyelashes coming straight out the top. Whereas really, what they need to be doing is thinking, okay um well that eye actually isn't almond shaped because this eye has like a hooded part of the lid sort of falling over the top of it which makes it sort of slightly baggy in that area and then oh and the eyelashes they actually grow downwards before they curl upwards um and you know those eyebrows aren't all going the same way some are sort of sticking up a bit and some are you know Tiny, fine ones, and it's it's looking, and the iris you know, oh, it's not a round circle because some of that is actually hidden behind the lid, and it's it's taking notes and observing what you're looking at really carefully that makes the biggest difference to your drawings, so yeah, they're two tiny things, hard and you know lost and hard and soft edges, drawing what you see instead of what you think you know. It's such a small thing to do and a really easy thing to do. But unless you know that and you practice that, you'll never, you know, you'll you'll hold yourself back. It can make a big, big difference. i finished. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, Are you still I there? Did you go make yourself have... a cup? Yeah. Did you go mate yeah, a, yeah, a cup of I tea? Did. <laughs> I did, yeah. But if I was drawing you, you'd obviously have one large eye and one squinty one. So yeah, you would <laughs> all that I'd would be not having not one eye. eye. <laughs> it'd be sticking but out I, the I side actually, of my head oh. yeah I was you'd have to look at
0: tara's you'd have to look at tara's work uh, work to know what i'm on about there what we're on about
1: <laughs> yeah but i was watching portrait arts of the year and because i knew we were doing this episode this week and it was it was one from a while back but they had kids it was a celebrity one but they had children in there who were also drawing. The um, you know, the people, the sitters, and the kids. It was really funny to watch them because they were doing that exact thing with the eye that you just said. They yeah. drew the arm and eye because yes. someone had obviously told them, or they'd obviously got into this habit of the symbol. Because basically, you're symbolising things, aren't you? That's exactly what you do. You do what a I mean? tree. It's a bit
0: like a cloud, yeah. isn't it? The classic tree yes. shape as well you know
1: that sort of thing yeah it's funny isn't it yeah but one of the things and i'm going to get straight to the point of what i'm talking <laughs> about is the rule of thirds now this is i don't know all the composition rules i know there's one with a weavy snail i have no idea what that one's called do you know what that one's called no the weavy snail composition one we obviously sound I know very what highly you're educated, about, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can kind of but, see where you're getting at, but I don't know what it's called. But to me, the big one is the rule of so thirds. I don't know about you, uh, and once you learn this, oh, it can just make such a difference. And I think one of the early times I knew about this was a teacher at school, and to be honest, he wasn't a very good art teacher in most ways, but he once pointed out on a painting I'd done. It was when I was in—I was on holiday—and so I think I'd drawn it. I'd drawn a sketch from life, and then I'd painted it. But I—I'd I, done the sea, kind of at I think a fifty, either fifty percent higher. I'd done it in the top third, right? Um, yeah, which, which sounds fine. You think, oh, okay, that's good. Rule of thirds. But actually, mm. he he started teaching me about it. But it meant that I would have had to have been up on a cliff drawing this the way i've done it yeah i mean that's not strictly the rules the rule of thirds is more about where you place something so you know that if you place something on a third it's generally going to look good isn't it yeah and
0: I so so what what you do is you divide your 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 painting into you know nine into into nine don't you and then the the best place to put your focal points is really where any of those thirds join isn't it
1: yeah yeah Uh, and I've done it before with faces quite often my faces are just central and there's nothing wrong with doing things centrally no but um if you can hit an eye on a third even it works quite well but also you can push whereas you think oh it's going to look weird if I push push a face over to one side as long as you have an element to balance it if you kind of place the face so almost the nose is over a third if it works well you can make that work as well, can't you? And it's just, I wonder what it is that's so pleasing to the eye about that. I don't know, but it's, you know, it's so true in
0: so many elements of life. And it's so funny because, so for instance, you know, if say Paul were to do the housework and he were to um, wipe the windowsills down and then he yeah. put the plant pot back, And this is typical of the same if my kids did it as well. What they would do is they would put the plant right in the middle in the centre of the windowsill. And then I'd straight away see that and think, oh, my God, what's that doing there? That's awful. And I'd put it a a third along the windowsill because that is what works. Yeah. You know, symmetry seemed to be a thing we did. I don't know, back in the seventies and eighties, I guess. But actually, you know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really work if you put a plant bang in the middle of it. It just, there's something not right about it. Move it over a third, and then put something small next to it. It, it's um, a much more ple- a balancing, pleasing. Um, I don't, but like you say, I don't know why.
1: I don't, no, know, I why don't why know why that is. But I mean the good thing about it now is if you've got a a phone with a camera on, majority of them will have the thirds in. So you can use it like a grid. Experiment with mm, yeah, a grid thing. But that is really good because you can use that to experiment. If if you're working from life, you can obviously use that as a viewfinder. Yeah. And kind of obviously it will distort it a bit, but you can say, oh, okay, if I made that and I put that tree that's in the foreground, if I put that on a third then I can get a nice composition in the background. I think that works really well.
0: As a general rule of thumb, you see, in my paintings, I will avoid at all costs anything happening in the very centre of the painting. So I'll I'll visually, and in my mind, I'll mark a spot that I think that's the middle of the canvas. I don't want anything to be going on there. I don't want anything to be meeting at that point. I don't want um, any, anything actually going on at that point. And now there's one or two paintings that might have happened, and, but it's not the end of the world. But generally speaking, I try and avoid anything happening, meeting, um, or any focal points being dead center.
1: All oh, right. right. Mm. Well, I actually, I'm just looking at some of my faces now, and um, this isn't even necessarily deliberate, but. Um, because I have the one big eye, even though I quite often have a face centered, so that, you know the nose will be fairly near the center. Yeah, the the big eye will definitely be on the third or yeah. near the third. Yeah, Strange. and you don't
0: want you don't want a horizon line like you say about the sea. You don't really want that in the center or anything like that because that's just almost slicing no. your painting in half. And I've seen paintings before where you've got a tree dead central in the middle of. A, or maybe the focal big, biggest tree in the center of a painting yeah and it's like oh god that's really bad it's sort of basically dividing it in half but yeah. if a, a, a beginner's eye won't necessarily see that and they won't realize how weird and wrong that looks it's something you kind of learn over time so these are quite good things to know early the earlier you know these things the quicker you'll get on won't you
1: yeah, but I you mean, know I th- the thing that my teacher was was trying to tell me was that if when you have the thirds, and you want to have this, because it was the beach and the sea, and you want to have use those thirds, but where you put the thirds does make a difference to where your viewpoint would have been, doesn't it? So yeah. if you <clears> put <throat> a high a high, a high third is where the horizon is, that is like if you were up somewhere high and looking down. Yeah. Whereas if it really all I'd done. The horizon should have been on the bottom third because I was standing down there on the beach. Yeah, that's sort of about perspective, isn't it? Yeah, it's perspective, but it was still using the, the rule of thirds yeah. as well for where. Yeah, all mixed in at once. I mean, people I say don't... the
0: importance of learning perspective, which I do agree with to a point, but I think actually, as long as you look. If you're looking and you're observing yeah. and you're drawing, like I say, you're drawing what you see and not what you think you see, you can't really go wrong with perspective. You don't even have to learn too much about it. But things like that, you do. You are right. If you're standing up really high, then perspective is going to change quite a lot, you know. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I've d- done loads of lessons in perspective. I remember when I was at school and I did technical drawing for a bit, which was horrendous. Um it's but so boring, isn't it? About perspective. Perspective. Oh my God, mm. so boring. But, and mm. also it's like, oh my God, how the heck can I work out if I've got something and then it goes around the corner and then it's going down a hill and it's, do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's far better just to look.
0: Yeah, exactly that. Exactly yeah. that. And you kind of learn it on the way as as long as you're looking, you kind of start to notice these things, you know, and then or you, you draw do faces, you do learn. And then
1: you don't, you don't have to perspective then do you so
0: much yeah <laughs> but you know what you're saying just avoid about, it you know what you're saying about the rule of thirds so yes so so for instance right if you're squinting if you squint um and you're looking at your piece you'll notice that there's lights and darks and quite often when your eyes are wide open you're just staring at something you're more involved in the color than you are you're forgetting about the tone it's really 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 important to understand that the the tone is probably more important than the color so for instance you could do a landscape and you could do a landscape all in purples and and um you know yellows you can make that look absolutely right because you as long as you're doing it tonally it still would work but if you do your landscape in greens and blues as the classic, but you get the tonal values wrong, it'll look all wrong. But again, what you need to be doing as well is making sure you've got a pattern of lights and darks. So one way to do this is to, say, for instance, you upload your painting to um, a computer and you turn it to black and white. That's one really good way of realising whether or not your painting's working. If you turn it to grayscale and tonally there is not enough contrast between your foreground and your background or your objects where there should be contrast, then it's not going to work. It, even if, you know, you look at it without being black and white, and you sort of think, mm, it it's not working because the, there's, the contrast is all wrong. And, and ideally, ideally, going back to your rule of thirds, you want a nice pattern of lights and darks you don't want it to be heavily dark on one side and then hardly any dark the other there needs to be a balance between lights and darks throughout the painting i know that you often get a lighter side and a darker side because obviously depends which way the um the sun or the the light is shining but you still need to have a balance balance that somehow because there's still always going to be darks in one area even if you don't sort of immediately see that So that's another thing going back to, you know, it's a kind of, I suppose it's like a balance, isn't it? It's just, it's just creating a nice balance.
1: Shall I tell you another one? Um, Yeah. This for me was a really big thing. uh, And that is balancing colours, which sounds really weird. But when you suddenly get this, it's like, wow. Uh, And what it is, is if if you've got a painting, say, and you decide that, okay, my eye, I'm going to put a bit of blue around the eye. Um, don't just put a bit of blue around the eye. You now need to put a bit of blue somewhere else, probably the opposite side, to balance that blue. And yeah. not only does it mean you've kind, you've kind of formed that balance, like that seesaw, there's something going on both sides, but it also brings a harmony, doesn't it, if you haven't got too many colours going on in that yeah. piece. But, but it is such a... You don't think about that, do you, until you've been doing art for a little while, to me.
0: When you go around a gallery and you can sometimes, see, well, you can often see this, um, you know, even going back to when the old master's painted, they'll, if there's a, if there's a little bit of red somewhere, even if it wouldn't immediately think that that should be there, there'll be a little bit of red the other side of the painting somewhere, even if it's just a few dots within the leaves of a tree and that's how they balance that painting because if you just have a splash of red somewhere and it's nowhere else in the painting, it's almost like your eyes can't, they're so focused on that, they
1: can't travel around. Yeah. I've seen novices, like uh, post painters, and they go, you know, there's something wrong with this. And you look at it and you think, yeah, you need, it's because they've got a load of green one side and then there's nothing the other. And they just yeah. need, you, you can you can actually start to see it, can't you? You can see it in someone else's work where yeah. they need to put a bit of colour. It's so odd. But I think that is something that once you know it, you start looking for it. But it's something that grows over time, I think, knowing where to put that colour. But also you can tell the people that have only just learnt it because quite often they'll
0: overdo it. It's something yeah. that's very subtle you don't have to think, oh, well, I need a big blob of paint there that's that colour because I've got some up in that corner. It can be the most subtle thing. Yeah. It's just, it has to be subtle, really, but for it to work properly. But going, carrying on with the colour theme, color, basic colour theory, I remember thinking I could skip that because a like perspective, I thought that was the most boring thing in the entire universe, was doing colour theory. And then there was one day and I thought, no. I I every time I mix a color it looks like mud and so I back in back then we had DVD players and um I bought a color theory DVD <laughs> and I got it was so oh God, boring that it sounds was, like
1: I laughed.
0: <laughs> it was boring as boring could be, but I had to make myself learn that because it, you can't you can't it's not like perspective where if you look at it for long enough you'll get it. If you're looking at a colour, you you need to think, okay, why does that colour look so fresh and vibrant, even though she's mixed this colour and that colour together? Because sometimes you'll mix two. Cadmium colours are the, the, the real culprit for this. They tend to, if you mix cadmiums, they quite often will make mud, you know. So, yeah, it's fine to use a cadmium, but then you need to use it with something transparent to, to create a lovely. Vibrant wash, do you know what I mean? But it's it's learning. You have to learn basic color theory to be able to understand that, and also color balance, like we were talking about before. Okay, so if you say, for instance, you look at your color wheel when you've got purple one side and yellow the other, that's a great. Have thing. you said it's that because like, of me?
1: Purple, the purple and yellow. Oh well, let's go with orange.
0: Me. Let's go with orange and blue then. <laughs> let's go with orange and blue. So yeah, I mean, they they are. Um, they're compl- they're opposites on the color wheel and they look so fantastic together because they're opposites but also harmonizing as well so you might have you know yellows and oranges and reds they look beautiful together but at the same time you also need to make mix cool and warm and the thing is I can't it's not something I could teach you on this podcast because it it's a it's a big in-depth thing isn't it but taking that time to learn this stuff um, color harmony, color complementaries, you know, um, color balance, warms and cools—all of those things make the difference between an obvious beginner artist and someone who really knows what they're doing, or a, a brilliant painting and a painting that could be good, but there's something wrong with it.
1: Yeah, and I think this is this is more if you're painting towards realism, isn't it? I'd say it matters more. Mm.
0: Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, even in say in your paintings... yeah, I use complement, color balance, I definitely there use
1: balance, and I use, but but I don't, I don't mix, I don't mix colors like you do.
0: No, you don't no. mix, but you you use different colors on your on your canvas, and yes. you wouldn't just use all purples and blues. You'd think, oh my goodness, this is going to need a yellow somewhere, or an orange, or something to balance that out. Yeah,
1: well, like I said, you know, I have a bit of a thing for yellow and purple. I did. I kept, I kept on giving doing shadows really purple, didn't I, for a bit?
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember we had Danny Gregory Everybody, on, didn't a we? Moustache. And you did a sketch of him. He had a purple yeah. moustache. <laughs> oh dear! But it's seems, you know. I mean, you wouldn't do that now because you you learnt from that, didn't you? But, but just... I
1: probably still would because I still like giving a real punch to colours. So I, I yeah probably you do, would yeah. yeah.
0: But it would be... I think next time, if we if we had him on again, you'd have to do him in your style.
1: Oh, God, with a squinty eye and a big eye. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Shall I give you yes. another one? And this mm-hmm. is using better materials. Now, this doesn't always apply, yeah. but it does sometimes, especially with things like watercolour. If you want to use watercolour, Definitely buy some reasonable watercolor paper. It doesn't have to be mega, mega expensive. It just has to be of a reasonable thickness or weight, and and texture really makes a difference. Depending what kind of look you're going through as well. So I would experiment with those. But I can still remember as a kid, well, um, so I say a kid, a teenager, starting to try and learn how to use watercolors. And obviously my parents weren't painters, so they didn't really know. And you didn't have the internet then. And I remember trying to do watercolors on uh cartridge paper and you're like wondering like why won't this work and however many paintings you try and paint it looks rubbish and you just think it's you because you think well it's because i'm a beginner so it's gonna be rubbish but there is there is a thing where certain things like that they will make a big difference so if you carry on using cartridge paper yeah you'll get a bit better but you're never going to know if it's you that's rubbish or it's just the paper.
0: Yeah, and in fact, even some watercolour papers. Again, I mean, I remember buying a watercolour um, sketchbook from W. H. Smith, and what was it like? Oh, it was awful, absolutely oh, was it? awful, really, really bad. Yeah, the works it was only really cheap. It was just well. one of those yeah and it's like oh but you know i'm using watercolor it was hideous i'm not saying they don't do a decent one as well but this one i bought was rubbish and um yeah so it's it's very true it'd be even with watercolor though yeah try if you're gonna if you're gonna invest your time into something obviously when you're learning you know i would say it's different when you're learning but actually in this case i don't think it is because it's not no it can almost hold you back Because like you say, you don't know if it's you doing it wrong or the materials. So just invest that. If you could invest in anything, paper is the one thing I would say is worth spending that extra bit of money on because you really don't you you, you're never going to create a great painting on crappy paper. And
1: you're not going to learn either because it just doesn't handle the way it should watercolor on something like cartridge paper unless it's a really it has to be really really heavy weight to even stand a thing because as soon as you lay color down first of all it doesn't spread the same as it would on a watercolor paper and then also you get the pits don't you it just rippling you get these horrible cauliflower marks which is great if that's what
0: you're going for and you're embracing those but with with a cartridge paper you'll get a lot of that
1: yeah just hideous do you know of any other materials where you would definitely say It makes a difference. I mean, obviously, everything makes a difference, but, you know. Mm. I
0: mean, I can see the... So you can get student-quality paints and watercolours. Well, that's fine. I mean, it is okay to use the student-quality watercolours and oils to begin with when you're learning. But what I would say is don't go and get um, student-quality watercolour from WH Smith only well yeah you can but get a brand name so go for the the um winsor and newton or whatever but go for their student quality don't go for the works own make basic watercolor <laughs> do you yeah. know what i mean don't do that so that sort of thing i think is fine what was your question <laughs> i just i just back? wondered
1: can't remember <laughs> what i'm <laughs> talking about <laughs> i do love um because i i've never really used artist quality watercolor paints I've always used student, um, but because I don't do it that hmm. much basically. But I have no. I did invest in some white knights, and I don't even know if you can get them now because they're Russian, and I, I know there's loads of you know things we can't get now in Russia, yeah, but they were really yeah. brilliant. I, I the difference between those white knight paints and say like a Windsor and Newton student thing. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah, the amount of pigment that came out really. of them. But I I my question to you really was. Are there any other materials that you can think of that really made a difference? As in, you tried something and it yes. was cheap and then you swapped to something better. Yeah. Canvas. Canvas,
0: yeah. Canvas. So working on cheap canvas, okay, yeah, it's fine if you're really, really beginning and learning. But if you're... Um, so you can get these canvas boards, these canvas sketch boards. They're handy if you're going out, and doing like a landscape and things like that. But they've got this, which, and this is fine, actually. If you're somebody who's doing a landscape or you're doing where you're embracing that thick paint and impasto marks, great, it's fine. The rougher, the better. But actually when, for me, when it comes to choosing my canvas, I really now can tell when it's cheap canvas and when it's not. You know, it's very. It, 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 they're usually quite rough, and they're horrible. The sides of them are horrible, and they and they buckle, as in like you, they're not drum tight. I know there's a way. There are ways around that, but actually, going for a a good quality canvas, I find makes a very big difference to my paintings and how they turn out. Because, well, it's like it's like anything, isn't it? Drawing on a bit of um, paper that you just steal out of your printer. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're at work, as opposed to drawing on a proper piece of nice quality paper. Yeah, they they do all make a difference. You know, like I say, when you're learning, there's certain things it doesn't really matter. I mean, the canvas, like I say, it doesn't really matter. But there will come a point where, you're like, actually, no, this is really making a difference for me. Using something that investing that bit more money into it is actually making you know my painting look a lot more
1: like. I expected it to look. Yeah. You know, you could use linen canvas, don't you? I like the linen ones, yeah. Are they? Because so, what bugs me about canvas is I really like a smooth surface. And obviously, canvases have that kind of woven texture. Does linen... Mine don't. Does linen doesn't have that. Well, no, I just go for a fine texture,
0: yeah. or you can get super fine as right. well. I use... Um, there's a company called Bell art and they do some lovely extra fine canvas weaves yeah and you it's like it's like you can't feel it and you can't really see it All of right. course when I'm painting glass I don't want yeah. that weave yeah. in it I want a, a super fine surface it is more expensive but um I actually sent off and I think I got this from Jackson art I sent off it I can't remember how much it cost. It did cost me some money. I can't remember how much. But it was a book of canvas, uh, like, samples. Oh, right. And <clears throat> you, I, I don't know if it was just a bell art one or if it was a general all-round one. And, but it's, uh, yeah, and then I've got this book so I could touch and feel each one and think, oh, no, this is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. And so that was worth having because I probably would have gone through about 15 canvases I didn't like before I'd have finally settled on the one I liked, whereas if i just spent, I literally spent one bit of money on this booklet and I knew straight away what I was going to like.
1: You sounded like, when you were talking about going through it, it's like I could just imagine you going, oh... <laughs> <laughs> <and> <laughs> licking the blooming canvas and Oh I like licking that one yeah. it. Stroking this canvas thing
0: uh, you, Some weird things uh, yeah. go, You have some do, weird do, visual do, things yeah. Going on in your head
1: Ugh, I don't want to picture you licking canvas uh, I think it's your turn
0: Okay, so before we go on, I'm editing the podcast and I've realized that we've reached 47 minutes and we still have about the same amount to go. So rather than put you through Tara and I yapping on together for another 47 minutes, I thought, you know what, let's split this episode into two. So we're going to leave it here for now and we are going to pick up where we left off next time. See you then. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and if you did, perhaps you'd like to share it and leave a review for us on iTunes.